It is still December 3rd, 2020, at least of this recording. <laughs> um, and uh, we are counting down the greatest movies of Oscars first 35 here on the envelope, please. So lots of envelopes to hand out this week. Uh, last week, we covered the best actor, best supporting actress and best supporting actor categories. And this week, we are going to cover our top five best actresses and our top 10 of the best of Oscar 35. Um, so my name is Rance Collins, and this is... Sam Erdahl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Insert name here. I'm so excited. Me too. This is going to be our part two of our season finale of uh, the, the first 35 years of Oscar before we start to delve into the later years uh, for in uh, for our next season. And I'm super pumped to break down these two categories as well. As you all know, we love the actresses. This is definitely our favorite category by far. And this was so hard because, as we said last uh, week as well, I love so many of the nominated performances that don't win. It was kind of tough to select the five winners uh, that I love the most, but I did it. I managed somehow. Yeah, no, I I debated because I, I shuffled around the names that I have here a little bit. And I thought like, oh, my gosh, but I can't not put that. I, I could have easily just put 10 or 15 best oh, actors yeah. because I... I'm always into the best actresses. And there's some people that I left off here that I didn't want to. Um, and I hope that you maybe include them so that I can talk about them. So Same here. Um, why don't you kick us off with your number five? Okay, I will. My number five, she was the first best actress winner, Janet Gaynor for Sunrise. I oh. love this movie so, so, so much. Uh, and she is just so breathtakingly beautiful. Uh, it is a silent film. She doesn't say a single word, and she doesn't have to. I think it's it's such a challenging performance to do that without words, to convey what she conveys, that fear um, and that love uh, toward a husband who tries to kill her before trying to win her back. There's just so much going on, um, and she really is the center of that movie, and I love it. <laughs> I mean, uh, I love that twist. I didn't expect, uh, I love her performance in that film. I didn't expect to talk about her today. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. And uh, I think that she herself is an underrated actress who was also quite good 10 years later in The Star is Born. So um, Absolutely. All, I am all about her being here. That's great. All right, give me your number five. My number five is Joan Crawford in Mildred Pierce. Absolutely. Um, this is probably the most Hollywood performance that I have on my top five. I consider this to be uh, Joan Crawford is a Hollywood actress uh, in the is the very definition. She has the the gravitas. She has the talent. She has the um, that slight uh, theatrical quality about her that makes it larger than life, but she also is relatable and human and interesting enough that it never feels inauthentic. And that's what I love about Joan Crawford as an actress and Joan Crawford movies. 
But um, her performance in Mildred Pierce is the crowning achievement of her career. Um, and it's a great film. It is so, so good. Um, I highly recommend seeing it if you haven't. It is just pulpy film noir drama in the best possible way. But um, uh, she is, of course, Mildred Pierce, the title character. And uh, she bites into it and just keeps uh, chewing the whole time. <laughs> yes, she does. Um, she was actually my number four. So I'll just piggyback off of what you were saying here. Um, absolutely. This is such a good performance. And it's it's very hard because Joan Crawford does give a lot of great performances, um, this, I would agree, is certainly her crowning jewel. It's where she finally reinvented herself and kind of embraced this new Hollywood, this film noir genre, um, and brought that um, glamour, that, you know, that that Hollywood side to it. And the marriage of those two, you know, Hollywood beauty and film noir grittiness coming together, um, it's it's just perfect. Um, so, yeah, she was in at my number four. Um, well, you know, I mean, like, it's funny. She was at the Glamorous studio for so long. Um, you know, she was at uh, MGM, which is considered like the zinc of glamour. But she was known for playing, you know, shop girls and the girl next door and the the girl from the wrong side of the tracks. And then she gets to Warner Brothers and she's just like this glamour queen by the time she gets there and um i i just love the way she redefines herself in this film all right let's hear your number four my number four is jane wyman and johnny belinda Ooh, that came out of left field okay i yeah. get it um johnny belinda is a another movie that really has surprised me when i finally saw it um, it is very affecting and very powerful, and it has one of the most disturbing rape sequences I've ever seen in a movie. And Jane Wyman has to play it all um, as a deaf mute, you know, um, and uh, or at least a mute. I don't now I'm second guessing the death part. Um, I think she's just mute. Yeah, I think she's just mute. She's just mute. Yes, I didn't. I shouldn't have said deaf. Um, she has to play it all mute and it all has to come from her face. And you think for a lot of people that would end up being this hammy over the top performance. Um, but not with her. No, no, no. With her, it's subtle and it's soft and it's devoid of glamour and it's devoid of artifice. And when this horrible thing happens to her, you feel it. Um, so yeah, Jane Wyman is my number four. Amazing. Okay. My number three is Vivian Lee, Streetcar Named Desire. Uh, I had to include every winner from this movie. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. I think it's just so strong. And I had to give Vivian Lee, um, the spot for Streetcar instead of Gone with the Wind, just because I like this movie more. And I think... I don't want to say her part is more challenging in this movie, but I find it more interesting and entertaining, I guess. I guess I just really enjoy women who 
<laughs> just go off the deep end. Uh, she is, she's a wreck. Um, and she does it so well. She, she plays messy very, very well. And it's, uh, yeah, it's marvelous. Vivian Lee is a consummate performer who, um, I have never seen give a bad performance. Um, mm-hmm. and she, legitimately gives two slam dunk best actress Oscars where you can literally see no one else winning because of how good she is. So I I don't know what else I can say. She is a very different Southern Belle in this one than she is in the other Southern Belle movies she makes. Um, But she's not the Southern Belle that I have at number three. Oh, I figured you would go the other direction. (laughs) I can't not pick Betty Davis. And Jezebel. There we go. There we uh, go. Definitely not dangerous, but Jezebel, I can justify putting on here because it is a legitimately great performance. Um, Betty Davis takes uh, what is ultimately just kind of a stereotypical Warner Brothers soper and um, infuses so much depth into it um, to where we see her character. Uh, have to redeem herself after defying societal norms of the time uh, for being a Jezebel, as the title comes from, um, to basically sacrificing her life at the end of the film. Spoiler. Um, I mean, like, we know she's not going to make it, basically. Um, And there is this incredible last shot of her face. Um as she's riding into a leper colony at the end of the film. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, And there's that fire going on, and you just see the defiance in her face um, where she's like, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for this. And that is um, one of, I think, her strongest moments on film. Mm. And... um, for that, I will reward her with a spot on my top five. That had to be higher than Joan. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, she just... And in the beginning of the film, when she's flighty and and everything, she's great. And then the, the, the red dress at the ball. Uh, she just, she nails every moment in the movie. I, I, I don't think it's a great film, but it is a great performance. So, My number two goes to Shirley Booth for Comeback Little Sheba. Uh, I love this movie so much. I think it's so good. And I think she is so good in it. She's, again, uh, not your typical looking leading lady. You know, she is older. She's a little dowdy. She is, um, she just looks human again, kind of like the counterpart to Ernest Borgnine's win for Marty, where this is just a real person uh, portraying a real, um, character. Um, she's battling her abusively drunken husband while, you know, wanting to please him and uh, trying to hold on to their marriage and create that spark again in their love life. And it's just so heartbreaking. Um, uh, and she, but she still finds the humor in it, you know, and I, yeah, this is one of those movies and performances that really blew me away. I was not expecting to love it so much when I watched it. And it is one of my favorites, um, uh, female performances. 
Um, I came very close to putting uh, Shirley Booth as uh, number three on my list, and number four, and number five. Yeah. But honestly, Shirley Booth did not, did not make my list, and she is not someone whose name you're going to hear from me. My number two, is that where we are, two? That is my where we are. Is Vivian Lee in Gone with the Wind. Oh, yes. I, I was, that's the one that I thought you were going to choose over Streetcar. I feel like you were going to go Gone with the Wind rather than Streetcar. No one has ever been asked to do more in a movie than Vivian Lee is asked to do in Gone with the Wind. She is literally in 95% of that film. And the movie is four hours long. <laughs> yes. In the process, she has to present to the audience a character that is inherently unlikable and make her somebody they root for, which she succeeds in doing. And then she has to take them through this emotional journey that involves defying war and famine and at the same time making it totally believable that she loves Leslie Howard and can't see Clark Gable. <laughs> that is a tall task. <laughs> and she succeeds at every single turn. And she spits out lines that are absolutely iconic and are repeated every day in culture. From fiddle-dee-dee to as God is my witness, I'll never go hungry again to tomorrow is another day. She nails Scarlett O'Hara. And Scarlett O'Hara is one of the most iconic, if not the most iconic, leading female character of all time. I can see that. Yep, I agree with you. And I also think that our number one spot is going to be the same. If uh, it wasn't, what would it be? Because because the entire reason we're doing this podcast is because of this performance. <laughs> absolutely i believe both rance and i have olivia de havilland in yeah. the heiress yes it yeah. is it truly is just the greatest leading female performance certainly in the first 35 years of the academy awards if not any year at the academy awards i mean if this movie was in theaters today and she was nominated you know in any of these last recent years i still think she would walk away with the Oscar. It is such a great part. The, the arc she goes through from start to finish, starting off with this, you know, just very kind of simple-minded, slower, very socially awkward and inept person uh, to finally understanding what it means to be hurt um, and how evil people can really be um, and how that turns her and embitters her uh, as a person to where she really does become, you know, an old maid at the very end. She just kind of uh, reverts to being alone. She, an old spinster, I should say. Um, and yeah, I think it is just breathtaking to watch on the screen. And that final moment where she bolts the door and she walks up the staircase away from Montgomery Clift. And can we just say, she is turning down Montgomery Clift probably the most beautiful he ever looks on camera that's not an easy task and she she walks away she walks up those stairs never to return and i i was so blown away by this movie and this performance that yeah i i it is the number one it is 
forever my number one. <laughs> I like how you say never to return, as if she just goes up those stairs, locks the door, and just never goes downstairs again. I don't and, think she does. Uh, Mariah <laughs> brings up her food, you know, <laughs> she whenever she needs it, and uh, that's a very interesting theory. Um, how do I even begin? Um, Olivia de Havilland is one of my favorite actresses, period. But the thing I love about her is that she was stuck in these roles that were uh, below her talent level at Warner Brothers. And she defied the studio system, you know, won the court case. And then she really, like, put her money where her mouth was and chose projects that really extended her as an actor excuse me, as an actress. And then she sought out the heiress and uh, said, I want to play this and played it. And she played it brilliantly. Um, there is not a false moment with her. And she has to go through the most complex transformation as a person in this film from a person who knows nothing to a person who knows everything. Mm -hmm. And it's so heartbreaking to watch her lose that innocence and to watch her become bitter. But it's also oddly empowering at the yeah. same time to watch somebody so assured in themselves that they realize they don't need anyone else you know um, oh, yeah. they need themselves and that is the lesson in the middle of this complex winding story um but the tone in which she plays it is this interesting mix of tragic and heroic and we've talked so much about this performance i don't know what else we can say other than the fact that we love it and it's brilliant Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's do the Big Daddy. Best picture. This is going to be our ranking of the top 10. We've done rankings um, every decade as we've gone through them. So now we're going to be combining every best picture winner of the first 35 years uh, to give you our 10 favorites. So coming in at number 10, I have the best years of our lives. Out of all the World War II films that, you know, win Best Picture, nominated for Best Picture, I feel like this is the best one. I I love what it has to say about the soldiers returning home from war, how they readjust to life, if they can readjust to life. Um, yeah, we talk about honesty a lot in performances and films, and this movie is so honest and harrowing to watch, but also very funny in moments as well. It does have a great balance um, of both the joy of returning home and the horror of returning home. I will comment further later. Oh, lovely. What's your number 10? My number 10 is, I feel like this is going to shock you. Mm -hmm. The greatest show on, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched it, and you know what? It isn't horrible. No, that's not. Um, seriously. Um, my favorite, my tenth movie on the list is On the Waterfront. 
Mm. Um, maybe lower than some people would put it. Um, I think it is absolutely wonderful. I think it's great. Um, I think it's one of the most exciting movies that I've ever seen. Um, dynamic and interesting and amazing. I just put a little lower, I think, because um, I, I think it's a movie that has a footnote. And that footnote is, um, hey, it's okay to rat out people. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a complicated one for me because of that. But um, in every other respect, it is absolutely a perfect film. I'm just not going to rewatch it as much as uh, the other ones I'm going to talk about. Fair enough. Okay. Give us your number nine. The Apartment. Ooh. Okay. Um, wonderful, wonderful movie. Absolutely delightful. Also a good time of year to watch The Apartment, by the way, um, because it does take place uh, Christmas, New Year's. Um, and uh, it is... Billy Wilder at his greatest, at his wittiest, at his most human. Um, and it has two leading performances that are just uh, so delightful, you know, uh, and tragic and delightful at the same time. The thing is, Billy Wilder is, I think, more than any other writer-director, really able to combine the um humor and humanity and tragedy of life all into one succinct package and the apartment while a comedy does that you know does that and brings that that unpleasantness and that ugliness to light in the most um fun little way I, uh, the apartment's great. I love that. My number nine, I went with the other Billy Wilder Best Picture winning film, The Lost Weekend. Uh, as I said in last week's episodes, we covered Best Actor. Uh, Ray Milan's performance in this movie is so captivating and so creepy and scary um, and humane all at the same time that it creates this such complicated portrayal of alcoholism and addiction in general, and it just captivates me from start to finish. I love every bit about this movie. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, about, that's about said it. <laughs> so what's your number eight? My number eight is It Happened One Night. This is one of the first, uh, God, even black and white movies that I ever watched, let alone Best Picture winning films way back in the day. And I remember being so floored by how much I loved it that it's really one of the movies that catapulted me into watching classic movies um, of the 30s and 40s, essentially. Um, yeah, I really credit It Happened One Night to kind of opening that window and that door into old films. And um, Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert are so good in this movie. They're so funny and they're so their uh, chemistry is just so, so good. Um, yeah, it's a great romantic comedy, if not the original romantic screwball comedy. Uh, my number eight is Rebecca. Ooh. Uh, I love Rebecca. Um, this might be higher on my list of favorite films than it is on this list. Um, I, I did start to watch the Netflix remake, um, and 
I know the reviews were not were not great for it. I know that. Um, and I honestly can't give a, a well-rounded review of the movie, though, because after a minute watching it, I just realized I wasn't emotionally prepared to watch uh, a remake of Rebecca because I was so tied to the Hitchcock version that I was automatically comparing it. <laughs> Which, in a way, is is meta, because the movie is about <laughs> the second wife taking over the first wife um, and comparing her to the to the supposedly better earlier version. But I um, I, I don't think you can improve much upon uh, Hitchcock and David O. Selznick's telling of the story. And the thing that um, that I didn't see in the first minute of the first two minutes of. Rebecca, when she they were giving the their version of the opening monologue, is I didn't automatically find myself thrust into that dreamlike gothic world that the 1940 Rebecca does such a good job of establishing, and and ultimately that's what um, that's what ranks this movie so high for me is that I don't know if there's a better movie that establishes atmosphere in the way that this one does um it just is thick with atmosphere Mm, i agree and that's why it's my number seven so i'll just piggyback off of that from you yes um for everything that you just said rebecca is perfect it is so atmospheric so creepy Uh, and beautiful. And I think a lot of that has to do with the black and white photography. And that's kind of what was turning me off of the the remake, as you stated earlier. All the color, I don't know, it just doesn't work for me in Rebecca. I I missed the black and white. I just think it it plays so much better that way. I don't think Rebecca's a romantic story. And I think that portraying it as a romance, like that's making it a different story. So they they chose to go in a different direction with the remake of Rebecca, obviously. But I don't think Rebecca is a romantic story. I think it is a story of psychological control, you know, and that's what makes it so fascinating. Um, And the the black and white really just makes that stark and dreamlike at the same time. So anyway, my number seven is all quiet on the Western Front. Mm. Um, I rank this one pretty high because I think it's the first movie to feel like a best picture of the best picture winners. It also, I think, has a message that is still resoundingly uh, important today. And that is war is bad and war is useless and war only leads to more pain and um, suffering that's not necessary. And um, I don't know if there's ever been a movie that showcases that better. Um, And it has one of the most heartbreaking endings of anything I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. That's true. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's my number seven. Uh, okay, my number six. I uh-huh. guess 
I talked about World War II movies um, earlier, so my number six is also a World War II film, From Here to Eternity, although it's more so a film leading up to World War II, I guess you could say. <laughs> it's more about the people involved in this military base. You know, it's much more of a, a character film than it is, I guess, a war film. Um, yeah, I love how these characters weave in and out of each other's storylines. There's so much going on, and and um, Fred Zinneman is so good and careful at giving all of these plots, these subplots, and all these different branches of the uh, the story their time and their their due. You know, nothing feels cheated. Nothing feels like it falls short or flat. Um, everything is just full. It is a, a fat movie, and I. Love it. And that scene where Montgomery Cliff plays the bugle after Frank Sinatra's death is just one of the most tragic moments um, on the film. I love it. Um, Donna Reed's performance in that movie, I should say, almost made my best actress, my best supporting actress list. Um, yeah, she Frank was close Sinatra, for me, too. Uh, Frank Sinatra was bubbling under for my best supporting actor as well. But... Um, I know he made your list, uh, but um, I I love movies that take place surrounding a an, a big event that we all know is going to happen because it it has that existential dread the whole time you're watching it, mm-hmm. and the time you're watching these characters interacting it closer, and the whole time you're wondering who's gonna live and who's going to die and um this one kind of transcends just being a disaster movie though which it easily could have become basically just a disaster movie but it doesn't do that it it avoids that it avoids that um pit mm-hmm. and instead just uh creates this whole moving drama that then turns on its head right at the appropriate moment so absolutely what is your number six it happened one night okay you talked about this movie earlier it is the original romantic comedy i recommend this movie to people all the time because i think it's impossible to dislike um it has so many sequences that i just love in a way that's like uh, like a warm hug um you know uh the hitchhiking scene uh whenever they uh, she he teaches her how to dunk donuts <laughs> um whenever they pretend to be a married couple and he acts like this and they're yelling at each other whenever he puts up the wall of walls of jericho you know like all those sequences i are just I've seen them so many times now that they're just like, ah, every time I watch them. Um, I love it happened one night. What's yours? What's next for you? Okay, my number five. We are in the top five now. Uh, goes to On the Waterfront. Um, man, this movie is... For me, this movie ranks so high on my top ten because of the acting. Every single performance is amazing uh you know between eva marie saint marlon brando rod steiger lee j cobb carl malden everybody is brings their a game to this um and i 
I know you kind of knocked it for it being, for the reasons behind the film, um, Elie Kazan's reasons for making the film and how it's okay to wrap people out. And to me, that almost just adds to my enjoyment of it because I think the the whole drama of McCarthyism and the House of Un-American Activities Committee when they were subpoenaing and questioning all of these actors and directors and writers, that is just one of my favorite bits of history about Hollywood. And this movie pretty much sums all of that up. Um, so that is why for me, it's just, it ranks so high. It's just so interesting, <laughs> forever interesting. Um, yeah, I, um, I agree with you. Do you like actors? I, I, <laughs> that about Maybe just uh, a little. <laughs> my number five is, uh, a movie that you called something you have problems with but i don't understand because i don't think there's any problems with it it's called west side story <laughs> uh, west side story is actually maybe one of my top two or three favorite movies of all time but i'm putting it number five on this list mm -hmm. to try and show some level of uh fairness uh i've seen it <laughs> 10 times on the big screen thankfully i saw it on the big screen this year before everything started that been tragic if I went a full year without seeing it on a big screen. Um, but it is uh, an epic scope of a movie that has the greatest uh, musical score of all time. And it never fails to move me in every way. I love it. And Spielberg got big shoes to fill. For sure. You're probably not going to fill them. Just don't mess it up. <laughs> okay. Good slice of life. And um, I love all of the characters so much in the movie. You talk about a great ensemble of performances. I think this movie has um, some performances that are not necessarily Harold that are great in the movie. Like, I think Dana Andrews is great. I think... Um, Myrna Loy is great. I think Teresa Wright is great in the movie. Um, Frederick March uh, won Best Actor, obviously, um, but he is, uh, you know, so I, I like everybody. I, I love it. I love the characters. I love everything about it. I could watch it a million times. For my number four, I went with a different slice of life movie. I went with Marty. Ah, I feel like we've talked about Marty quite a bit now in these last uh, these two episodes here. Um, it's just so simple, but it's in its simplicity where I think it has its most charm. You you feel like these characters are real. It's like you could almost walk outside and down the street and you could find a Marty you know, uh, walking into the grocery store or the bank, like he exists everywhere. And I think that is why this movie brings so much joy to whoever watches it. Because at the end of the day, we all just want people to succeed, right? We want you to find love and purpose and meaning. And that is what Marty gets at the end of this movie. So it's just so triumphant. I, yeah, I love it. And it's, it's an hour and a half long, people. Go out and watch it. Like, you you have no reason not to watch this movie. It's so good. It's so, so good. I agree with you. 
Um, although I can't agree that I necessarily want everyone to find love and happiness. <laughs> um, Marty did not make my top 10, but it would be very close to making it. Anyway, my number three, mm -hmm. what can't be said about all body? <laughs> it's perfect. It has the greatest screenplay of all time. It has Betty Davis's greatest performance. It has some of the best put downs and witty dialogue you're ever going to find ever anywhere. And it's two and a half hours long, but you're never bored. And to me, that should say something. All about Eve. I'll never stop singing its praises. That, that's <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, my number three, I went with Casablanca, which I think is just one of the greatest, you know, wartime film. Oh, man, more war movies. Wow, I really didn't <laughs> do this correct when I said Best Year of Their Lives is my only World War II film. Uh, that was a lie. Casablanca is such a great war romance. And I just think the central conflict between Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman is always fresh. You know, I just you you believe in their love and you you believe in how tragic it is that they don't end up together. And I think it's just beautiful. Um, yeah. And this movie just clips along at such a pace where it's almost like you blink and it's over. It just goes, goes, goes. I, yeah, this movie is so good. It deserves all the praise. You know, it's continually on every, you know, movie pundits list of greatest movies of all time. It's always in the top five, deservedly so. This is a classic um, and will always be a classic. Wait, they don't end up together? Yeah, no, they, they, sh they, they sure don't. <laughs> he ends up with Claude Rains, remember? <laughs> they, they kiss and then they get married. <laughs> Very progressive for the time. Um, <laughs> okay, seriously. Um, that is uh, not my number two. <laughs> because my number two is Gone with the Wind. Ooh, shocking. I know. Um, I have talked a lot about this movie. You can go back to 1939 and hear everything that I had to say about it, including its very complex history and its place and culture. Since we recorded the 1939 episode, there was further controversy surrounding the film um, and its inclusion on the streaming platform HBO Max. Um, they have now added contextual... contextual um, uh, intro to the movie, which I think helps uh, the viewing experience. I'm very much in support of doing that with movies that have problematic elements to it. Um, with that said, I don't think that there is a movie that probably defines uh, what we expect of the Oscars better than Gone with the Wind, um, because it is that epic sweeping story that includes the tremendous performances, the amazing visuals, um, and, you know, that central love story in the midst of a, you know, epic war movie, basically, 
that uh, we have somehow come to expect out of our Best Picture winners, because as you noticed, war is a constant theme yes, <laughs> at, it is. at the Oscars. <laughs> Um, and Gone with the Wind, uh, in a way, sets the sets the the prototype for what we think of. Oh, the best picture is going to be that kind of movie. Mm-hmm. And um, and while that isn't the only reason I'm choosing it, I also do indeed believe that for every problem it has, it is still just an incredibly entertaining film. And that is the reason why it's withheld generation after generation, why people are so obsessed with the characters and the music and the um, the story of the film is because it ultimately is just a really damn good, well done story, you know, and ultimately what makes a movie watchable is telling a story well and that's what Gone with the Wind, in spite of all of the many, many production snafus that went along with making it, it somehow feels like a very coherent movie that clips along at a surprisingly quick pace for being four hours long. Um, not just for being four hours long. I think you can watch uh, Lawrence of Arabia, which is also a great film, but you watch Lawrence of Arabia and then you watch Gone with the Wind and I want you to watch those two four-hour movies and tell me which one moves faster. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Um, and so, uh, yeah, um, Gone with the Wind. Always going to have an asterisk right beside it because you do need to put a lot of context on watching the movie and understand the ways in which its viewpoint is not accurate. But... Um, with that caveat, it is uh, it is hard to deny that it is a, a very important and um, compelling piece of art. Yeah, well said. Very well said. Uh, my number two, I went with The Apartments. Um, this is such a great movie, uh, such a great dramedy. One of the most surprising films when I first watched it, I was expecting it to be an all-out comedy, you know, like a lot of Billy Wilder's movies are, but there is that midway point turn where she, you know, tries to commit suicide and uh, it turns into something very, very different. And I just love that twist. Um, And this isn't even my favorite Billy Wilder film. It tells you how much I love Billy Wilder's movies and the way he writes dialogue. But this is probably my favorite Jack Lemmon movie. Uh, His performance um, is so good. This, uh, to me, it just shows everything that people love about Jack Lemmon, how he's funny, relatable, um, uh, that kind of near-do-well character actor. That is Chester C. Dodd. it's all in here, you know, from when he's making spaghetti with a tennis racket and hiding his razor blades from her because he's afraid she's going to hurt herself again. He's just so caring. Oh, my gosh. And when he's sick and he's shoving the the, the squirt and the things up his nose because he's got a, a stuffy nose. I, everything about what he does in this movie is why I love to watch movies. Um, and it just makes you feel so good. And like you said, it is a great holiday movie. I watch it every year around the holidays, usually in that weird week between Christmas and New Year's where you're like, you're not sure what to do with yourself. Uh, it's a great one to watch there. It's just wonderful. I love this movie so, so much. Uh, cosine. 
everything that you just said. <laughs> Love that. Um, well, I think we've both, we've already talked about what both of our number ones are. We have, yes. It's not going to be the same number one, though. Um, do you, I, I guess, uh, who, who should go first? I don't know. Uh, I'll go with mine first. My number one is All About Eve, which you talked about a little bit earlier. Um, my God, everything you said about it is true and accurate there. And we've talked to death about this movie, too. I cannot recommend this movie enough to um everyone all the performances are great uh and this is the greatest betty davis performance um and if she had one best actress uh over judy holiday uh she very well could have been my number one for the best actress uh our top five actress winners as well she very much rivals olivia de havilland uh in the heiress yeah, it's 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 that wonderful marriage of the witty screenplay and the excellent acting. When those two come together, it's just unbeatable. It is unbeatable and is always fun to watch. Every time you watch it, you pick up something new, something that's like, oh, I, I don't remember them saying it that way. It, just, it rings differently every time you watch it. The entire uh, uh, sequence of... Uh, bill's birthday party yes is just like from beginning to end is just perfect (laughs) it is is. it's perfect from the preparation of the party um when she's getting dressed upstairs all the way through when they're commiserating on the stairs at the end is just sublime you know Uh, and the way and the way Betty Davis goes from sober and suspicious to sober and bitter to bitter and drunk to just <laughs> sad and drunk in that scene is just her greatest, her greatest moments on film. Um, I would have her as my number one best actress performance had had that happened. I will say I also would have had uh, a best actor performance that didn't win if this is the case, because I probably would have had Jimmy Stewart and It's a Wonderful Life had. Oh, yeah. Um, But uh, with that said, my number one is shocking, Casablanca. Uh, (laughs) I think Casablanca is a perfect film. I think it is the perfect film. Um. I don't know if it's my favorite movie of all time, but I can't deny that I could, I would be hard pressed to find a movie that is better at doing what movies are supposed to do than Casablanca is. Casablanca gets in immediately. You know, what's going on immediately. You're in it in the story. um, Understanding the desperation um, and the stakes of what's going on. Um, you end up meeting a entire cast of amazing characters and then focus in on the most compelling of leading actors in Humphrey Bogart, um, who just uh, his performance had he won for this would also be in my top five. Um, oh, yes. Uh, performances because he gives like the defining classic era of performance in this film. And then uh you meet Ingrid Bergman and Ingrid Bergman is just this like effervescent creature in the film. And their chemistry is like so unique and amazing and so 
grounded in what we think of movies being like. Like Ga Casablanca feels like feels like the definition of a movie. And I love that it won Best Picture. I love that it continues to find new fans every single year because I think that it is the definition of film. I love that. That is very, very well said. I think we came up with a really great top 10 list for, uh, for both of us. We're really starting to divert. That's what's interesting is now that, now that there are more options for mm -hmm. our list, we're seeing less of this um, sameness, you know? Kind of see uh, where our tastes differ just a little bit. Yeah, just, I mean, there are, is a lot of crossover still, but, um, but this is where uh, things get interesting. By the time we get to making lists on the 50, 75th, and, you know, 90, whatever it is when we finish, I think, uh, I think we'll end up maybe having 10 completely different movies in the top 10. That's not true, because we'll both include Casablanca and All About Eve, but... Uh, <laughs> so true. <laughs> I don't think either one of those are ever going to drop off for me, but... Um, uh, and we know that the that Olivia de Havilland, the heiress, is gonna be on our actress list no matter what happens in the next uh, in the next uh, sixty years of Oscar. So anyway, absolutely, yeah. You guys, we are going to be coming back next year in 2021 with um, a new season. We're going to be starting with the 36th Academy Awards and the Best Picture winner, Tom Jones in 1963. Ready for that one? I am so ready for this one. This one is, oh man, this is going to be a really fun one to start off a new season with. It is so bizarre. <laughs> this is, a, a, go ahead and watch Tom Jones to prepare, to prep for this, guys, because um, I, I don't know if we'll be able to explain exactly what it is to you. <laughs> so true. <laughs> and it's available on HBO Max, so you can... Yes. Uh, you can find it streaming pretty easily. Um, so that's going to be 63 um, is the next episode. Uh, we will be back right after we get through, finally get through 2020. <laughs> Absolutely. We will see you guys, or you'll hear us, I suppose, on the other side.